Well, this is our last Sunday in the Gospel of Mark. Yes, we've been in the Gospel of Mark, it seems like, for a couple years now. It probably hasn't been uh, quite that long, but it has been a while. We've been asking uh, the question, who is Jesus? And hopefully uh, we walk away from this series with a greater clarity in the person and the work of Christ. Uh, just the other day, I was thinking, oftentimes when I get up in the morning, I will walk down our stairs. I will uh, begin to brew a pot of coffee. Uh, I will curl up in our little L-shaped couch and get my warm blanket and find the most comfortable spot I can. Uh, Jack, our wonderful dog, will come. He'll join me. Uh, he'll irritate me because he'll want to take my spot. Uh, he'll work his way underneath that warm blanket. And it seems like without fail... Uh, just a few moments after I get comfortable and settled into my spot, uh, I hear feet coming down the stairs. Uh, and more often than not, the feet that I hear coming down the stairs uh, belong to my oldest son, Cademan. Uh, Cademan will wake his way down the stairs, invade the early morning hours, and look at me and say these words, Dad, did anything historic happen last night? And what Cademan is talking about is, is not the unrest in Venezuela. He's not talking about peace talks in the Middle East. He wants to know in the worldwide uh, world of sports, did anything historic happen? Did I miss anything? Did anyone get like a triple-double? Or did the Beard score another 50 points? Did Michigan beat Michigan State? Did anything historic happen? More often than not, my answer to that question is no. Like, nothing historic happened. Nothing happened uh, that is going to change your life or change my life uh, for all of eternity. Like, occasionally something interesting happens or something exciting happens, but oftentimes those things that took place yesterday will quickly be forgotten. Right? The UNC Duke game, right? If you're a fan of UNC, you'll celebrate it for a little while, and then you'll forget about it. Maybe for a short period of time until the ACC tournament. And then you'll be thinking about it again, but it doesn't change your life, right? It just simply comes and goes. Oftentimes, things that come our way in life are like that. Uh, they come and they go, but they don't change the trajectory of our lives. Those events are not historic. This morning, I want to tell you about an event that was historic. It's an event that some 2,000 years later we are still talking about. This event that happened some 2,000 years ago uh, changes your life and my life uh, even today in significant and profound ways. This event that we're going to look at this morning breathes hope and life into you and into me. This event that we will look at this morning uh, changes our marching orders uh, for all of human history. Uh, this event is recorded in Mark chapter 16. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. Mark uh, chapter 16, uh, beginning uh, in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. 
And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Can you imagine the conversation that these ladies had when they returned home and were asked, Hey, did anything historic happen yesterday? They would say, It's funny you should ask. As a matter of fact... Uh, something pretty historic did happen. Where they came to the tomb and they saw that it was empty. And as you can imagine, they were alarmed. Scripture says they were alarmed. And the angel speaks to them and says, do not be alarmed. When Scripture talks about in Mark 16, this idea of being alarmed, it's the same idea that we read about uh, when Jesus was in the garden in Mark chapter 4 or Mark chapter 14, it says that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. And so the women came to the tomb, the empty tomb, and Scripture says they were greatly distressed and troubled. Right? They were alarmed, and you can imagine why. They were greatly distressed and troubled because dead people stay dead. Right? Dead people, when they are placed somewhere, they stay there. They do not have breakaway speed. Right? They stay where you put them. But when these women come to the tomb, Jesus isn't there. Right? The tomb is empty. And so Scripture says that they were alarmed. They were alarmed because the tomb was empty. Perhaps they were alarmed because the one they had followed, the one they had trusted in, the one that they had placed their faith in and followed had just been murdered a couple days previous. Maybe their hopes and dreams for what Jesus would do for them and in their community was dashed. So all these feelings are probably swirling on in their heads and in their hearts. And they come to the tomb and Jesus is not there. And they are frightened. They are afraid. They are alarmed. And the angel speaks to them and says, do not be alarmed. I don't know about you, but I'm struck by how many times in Scripture we're encouraged to not be afraid or not be alarmed or to not be anxious or to not be troubled during the very times in life when it seems like it would make sense to be troubled or to be anxious or to be afraid or to be worried. It is like God is speaking into those very moments when we feel the most unsettled and he's saying to us, listen, it is okay. But it doesn't seem like that on the surface. It's like when the alarm goes off and people begin uh, to scatter and someone stands up and says, "Um, nobody panic, right? Don't be alarmed. Remain calm. And you think, how can we remain calm when the alarm is going off? The women come to the tomb and Jesus' body is not there. And the angel speaks to them and says, do not 
be alarmed. And so my question when I read something like that is simply, why? Why or how? Like, how can I not be alarmed in that moment? Why should I not be alarmed? Why should the women uh, not be alarmed? One of the things that I love about Scripture is that it answers uh, some of the very questions that we're asking. Did you notice verse 6? Why should we not be alarmed or troubled or worried? Well, it says, because you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The tomb is empty. Do not be troubled. Do not be frightened. Do not be alarmed because Jesus is risen. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that all of the Christian faith hinges on this verse. Right, this verse that teaches us that we uh, serve and worship and follow a resurrected Lord. Right, this verse that teaches us there is hope beyond uh, this life. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, a gentleman who has a miraculous conversion story, someone who went from persecuting Christians to uh, converting people to Christianity, wrote about the resurrection and, and basically argued that if the resurrection didn't take place, that our faith is futile. That, that us gathering together on Sunday morning and listening uh, to the proclamation or the preaching of the, world, the word is a waste of time. He says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So Paul laid it out for the church at Corinth. He says, if Jesus did not arise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. That my prep this last week was a waste of time. That you coming and gathering under the preaching of the word of God is a waste of your time. He argues that our faith is in vain. Right, that if we believe this gospel story that's laid out for us in Scripture, if we believe that this is true and we commit our lives uh, to following Christ, that is foolish if the resurrection did not happen. He says that we are still in our sins. All this talk of forgiveness, all this talk about not, God not counting our sins against us is silly if Jesus did not, not in fact defeat death. Uh, But um, I believe uh, that he did. And I I believe that this story actually did take place. Some people look at it and claim that it is false. Uh, Some people say that it's a hoax, that his disciples perhaps dreamed it up. They they put together some story that simply has been passed on from one generation to the next. Some people say that the story is fiction, 
that the church embellished some of the details, that they wanted to protect this newfound faith that they had found, that they um, created a story to be followed, and yet other people say, no, this story is in fact fact, right? that, it, that it did uh, take place. And I believe uh, that it did. I take that by faith, but I don't think that that faith is a blind faith. You see, there are some things that we know about this story that even if we don't uh, know Scripture or believe Scripture to be true, historically we look at events and we can know that uh, historians claim that they took place. We know that Jesus was crucified. We we know that uh, he was buried. We have historical accounts that his disciples, that those who were closest to him, were despondent. Upon seeing Jesus crucified, they were, they were scattered about after he was buried. We know historically that something happened to his body, that people did approach the tomb, that his body wasn't there. We know that his disciples had some sort of experience in their lives that caused them to rethink of the way that they were living and how they operated. That they went from being full of fear Uh, to to having this bold and courageous faith that caused them to share this story uh, with other people. We we do know that those things took place. And so my, my question or my thought is, is there evidence that we find in Scripture and outside of Scripture that would lead us to believe that this story is in fact true? I believe that it is. Uh, One of the reasons that I believe that it is is because I find in the story it's interesting that Scripture records it is the women uh, who went to the tomb who were the first eyewitnesses. During that time and in that culture, if you uh, wanted to validate a a story, uh, you would more likely not grab the testimony of women to validate your story. The, the, the story of women or um, their, their opinion or their thoughts was not held in high regard in that culture. Uh, they, they did not have a month where they celebrated a women of Galilee or Jerusalem. Right? In fact, if they told the story, it was oftentimes dismissed. And so if you were writing a story in such a way that you wanted other people to believe it, more than likely, you wouldn't lead with uh, the, the testimony of women at the tomb. And yet, in Mark's gospel and in the gospel accounts, Scripture does just that. We also know historically that, uh, the, gospel, uh, that the disciples were killed uh, because they claimed that this story actually took place. But they were, they were martyred for the faith. If they were the ones who had taken the body of Christ to hide it or to simply perpetuate a story to be passed from one generation to the next, why? Why would they be willing to die uh, for such a fable? Another reason why I believe this story is true is because of the reliability of the New Testament. The New Testament, when you study uh, how it was put together and assembled and how uh, documents of the New Testament have been preserved uh, way more so than any other piece in all of human history, it leads me to believe that there is something about uh, this book that is uh, reliable and can uh, be trusted. Another reason that I believe that the resurrection actually did take place is because Jesus claimed that it would. 
Right? All throughout his life, he was telling people, this is going to happen. Right? I, will, I will suffer and die. This temple will be destroyed, uh, but it will be raised to life again. And so Jesus claimed that this would happen. And then we see this take place. We see it play out. The tomb is empty. The women are frightened. They do not uh, know what to do. And the angel speaks to them and says, do not be alarmed. When I read these words a couple weeks ago, I thought to myself, if uh, these words are true in this moment, are these words also not true uh, for anything we face in life? I mean, is, is there anything that you can face or, or I could face where God would not speak those words uh, to us? Uh, do not be alarmed. I started thinking about all of the things in life that come our way that we're not prepared for or that we don't plan for, where I believe God speaks these words to us. Perhaps it is a sickness or a diagnosis. Maybe it is a, a meeting at the doctor. Maybe it is a phone call or an email or a text message uh, we get and we face something that we did not prepare for. And God speaks these words to us. Do not be alarmed. When we gather together in a church and we say a goodbye to a loved one, someone we cared deeply for or about, God still speaks these words to us. Do not be alarmed. When a relationship that we thought would last forever comes to an end, God still speaks these words to us. Do not be alarmed. When you realize the hopes and the dreams that you had for your life, um, do not play out the way you thought they would. God still speaks these words to us. Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed because our greatest enemy in life, death, has been defeated. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Scripture teaches us that we uh, do not believe in vain. We do not follow in vain. We do not trust in in vain. We have been given a new uh, resurrection hope uh, because Jesus is alive. Not only have we been given a new a hope for life, but we've been given a new directive. It says in verse 7 that the angel spoke to the women and said, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Go, and tell. Go and tell. Now, these are still the words that God speaks uh, to his followers. Go and tell. Go and tell this story, this gospel story, this story of hope and life. Go uh, tell uh, your family members who are far from God. Go and tell them uh, that Jesus has defeated death. Go and tell your neighbors, the people who live closest to you that you do life with. Go and tell uh, your son and your daughter or your mom or your dad or uh, your colleague or the kid uh, that uh, plays sports with your kid or your co-worker. Go and tell. Go tell the story. Go tell them that the tomb is empty. 
Last week, I had the opportunity uh, to fly to Honduras and spend a couple days with a group of local church pastors uh, to understand some of the needs that they are facing in their community. And I was laughing because when I got on the plane from Charlotte uh, to Miami, um, I I was near the very back of the plane, and I had a middle seat, um, which... It's, it's not a prime spot. I mean, you typically don't want back of the plane, middle seat, but that's what I had. And so I made my way to the back of the plane, and I looked, and I found my number. It was just a couple rows away from the bathroom, and it was in the middle. It was right in the middle, and the person sitting on uh, the aisle was this elderly gentleman. He must have been maybe in his upper 70s, maybe 80 uh, years old, and he saw me coming, and I said, excuse me, I you know, I have the, the middle seat, and he smiled at me, and he stood up, and he stepped out, and he let me get in and sit down, and then he sat down next to me, and he goes, so you got the middle seat? And I said, yeah, yeah, I got, the, I got the middle seat. And he leaned in, and he goes, you know what? He goes, I love the middle seat. I go, you do? You love the middle seat? He goes, yeah. He goes, sometimes I want to sit in the middle seat because I hope two pretty girls will sit next to me. <laughs> And then he leaned in and he goes, sorry. (laughs) And I said, my wife thanks you. And so I sat next to this gentleman. I said, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to the Dominican Republic. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, how long are you going for? He goes, I'm going for two weeks. And I said, who are you going with? And he goes, I'm just going with with a bunch of my friends, like 10 of my friends. He's like, I'm the only single guy going. And I said, oh, that's great. It sounds like you're going to have a good time. And he goes, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to Honduras. And he said, what are you going to do? And I told him, I'm going to sit down with some pastors and understand the needs in the community. And he goes, oh, that's, that's great. That's great. And then he kind of went back to doing his thing. And I went back to doing my thing. And I started writing emails. And I started working on a message. And I started to, to make the most of the time uh, that I had on the plane. The plane lands in Miami roughly two hours later, and he leans over to me, and he said, sir, he goes, it seems like uh, in our culture, it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian. Do you find that to be true? I thought, that's an interesting question, and so I started talking to him about historically how Christians have been persecuted for the faith, and how the freedoms that we have in our country are really unique to many places in the world, and he listened to me, and he goes, huh, that's interesting. He said, um, I'm wondering, why, why do you think it is that, that so uh, many people have a, a problem with, uh, with Jesus? Because he seemed to be uh, a, pretty, a pretty kind guy, a pretty kind man. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I feel at this moment like the Lord is just like teeing it up for me and going, James, just close your eyes and swing, man. Just close your eyes and swing. And so I listened to him and I said, that's a, you know, that's a great question. I said, what's... What's amazing, I said, when you look at the teachings of Christ, I think one of the things that people struggle with is that um, he made some pretty bold claims. Uh, he, he claimed not to just be a man, but he, he claimed to be God. And uh, he, he told people that, that what they were pursuing and the way that they were living and what they were chasing after, that, that joy wasn't found there and that they needed uh, to turn from what they were trusting in and, and, and trust in him. And I said, there was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis, and he talked about Jesus. And he said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. Uh, but, he, but he couldn't just be a, be a nice man. And, and he leans over and he goes, huh, liar, lunatic, or Lord, huh? And I looked at him and I said, sir, I said, 
I said, you literally just started asking me these questions after we landed in Miami. Like, everyone is getting out of the plane. I'm like, why did you, why did you wait so long to ask me the good questions? And he goes, oh, he goes, I saw you were working. And I just thought to myself in that moment, yeah, hello. Like, go and tell. Like, go and tell. Like, so every day, like every day, every day, you pass by people. You pass by people. Some of them you know really well. Maybe some of them you've never met before. But I feel like God gives us these opportunities along the way just to, like, plant gospel seeds. Like, just to plant gospel seeds and just talk about Jesus or talk about faith or ask a question and just listen. God's always doing this. He's just, like, going, go and tell. Like, go and tell. And so I read this, and I just thought, God's still calling his people to do this. Like, go and tell. Go and tell. Right, so, the, so the women at the tomb, they see an angel. Other gospel accounts say there are two angels in the tomb, but, but one is speaking these words. And the angel in this moment says to them, do, do not uh, be alarmed, right? Do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. And then there's this gospel hope. Like, do not be afraid because Jesus is risen. And then he says, um, go and, and tell but, but then he gives more hope. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter uh, that he is going before you to Galilee. Like, he's, he's going before you. And so I thought to myself, okay, go and tell, and he's going before you. Right? So you hear that charge to go and tell, and you think about all the reasons that you shouldn't go and tell. Like, I'm working. <laughs> I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask. I, I don't know how to respond. And you, we think of all these reasons that we shouldn't go and tell. And, and there's this gospel hope, like he is going before you. Right? God is going before you. So that means that you and I do not go to places where God hasn't already been. Like we, we don't start working the soil that hasn't already been tilled. Right? You and, and me, we, we, we may be people who think to ourselves we, we are on the cutting edge or we are on uh, the, the, the front. We are pioneers in sending the gospel message, but we're not. We're late adapters because God's already been working. Right? So he's going before you. He is preparing uh, the way. It says in verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. So good news, he's going before you. Uh, good news, you're going to see him just like he told you. He, he told you you would, right? And so it's going to happen. Right? And I read this and I thought, isn't it cool that the words of God are true? Right? He said it's going to happen, so it's going to happen. It's like the movie where um, this, this superhero falls in love with uh, with, with some, some lady, and, and they fall in love, but then at the end of the movie, he's got to save the world. And he can't take her with him, because she can't save the world, only he can. And so he leaves her, and the world's falling apart, and then he goes and saves the world, and he comes back, and she says to him, oh, you came for me. You came back. You came for me. And he's like, well, I, I told you I would. <laughs> I just had to go save the world. Like, that's how it is with the Lord. 
like when he says something to us and speaks truth to us, he goes, well, that's, that's going to happen. Like, I told you it would. I feel like I have this picture in my mind of us standing before the Lord sometime going, gosh, wow, Lord, it really happened like you said it would. Like here, here we are before you experiencing uh, joy and, and peace. And he's like, well, yeah, I, I told you you would. Because it seems like we operate uh, so often in life um, thinking to ourselves that there is so much in life that is not guaranteed. Right? There's so much in life that we are not in control of, and that is true. Uh, just the other day, I was having a conversation with my friends Dudley and Melvin. We were going back to the airport, and we were, we were talking about uh, different ministries that Melvin uh, has started and things that he's done. And I started thinking, I was quiet. I was just a fly on the wall, and I'm listening. And Dudley goes, James, what are you, what are you thinking about? And I said, well, I was just thinking about how there are so many things in life that are not guaranteed. There's so many things in life that are not guaranteed. Things that come our way or circumstances or things that happen to us. And my friend Dudley, bless his heart, he listens to me and he goes, that's funny, James. He goes, I, when you said that, I was thinking to myself, boy, there are some things in life that are. He's like, um, like God promised never to leave us. Like that's a guarantee. God, God, God promised that he would be present in our lives, that he, that he wouldn't stop loving us. Like, that's a guarantee. God said that he would build his church. Like, he promised that he'd do it. That's a guarantee. And I just thought when he said that, I was just like, yeah, God's going, yeah, like I, I said I would. He told them they would see Jesus. He'll see him. He said that you would see him, and so you'll see him. When I read that, and that's so um, life-giving to me. I'm like, yes, that's, that's true. So I don't have to be alarmed. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be wrought with fear or full of anxiety. Like, I can trust. I believe that this is true. And so the women hear the words from the angel, do not be alarmed. Jesus is alive. And everyone lives happily ever after. Right? The women realize there was nothing to be afraid of. They feel a little sheepish for even being afraid or frightened or full of fear or alarmed. They realize it was just a big misunderstanding. Right? And all of a sudden, they're courageous. Right? It says so in verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I read that and I thought, man, that's like the Christian life. Like there's this beautiful pep talk that God gives to us and being like, listen, it's going to be okay. It's gonna, you don't have to be afraid. Like your heart doesn't have to be uh, full of fear. You don't have to be alarmed. Jesus is risen. And we're like, yeah. And then we leave and we're like, I'm afraid. <laughs> like, like it lasts this long sometimes. And yet what's beautiful is I think God knows this and I think God sees this and I think God still pursues us and loves us through it. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Don't be frightened. Right? Jesus is risen. God has gone before you. His promises are true. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we leave and we're frightened and we're afraid and we're anxious. And he still loves us enough to be patient with us 
and to chase after us. 2,000 years ago, uh, something historic happened. Something historic happened, and it changed, it changed the world forever. It has changed countless of people's hearts and lives through the generations. It is changing you, and it is changing me. Scripture teaches us that we were, we were born for a purpose, for a reason, to know God and to love him. But we decided, as humanity oftentimes does, to, to go our own way. Scripture calls it sin. Because God is holy and just, he can't ignore our sin or sweep it under the rug. He must deal with it. But God is also loving. He is also full of mercy. And so he sent his son Jesus, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. The punishment that rightfully I deserved and you deserved was placed upon Jesus when he was crucified. Jesus was buried, but he did not stay in the grave. Uh, he was raised uh, to new life, and he offers that life uh, to you and to me when we, by faith, uh, trust in his finished work. If you've never trusted in the finished work of Jesus, my challenge uh, to you would be to come to him this morning. I would love to pray with you if you're here with a friend they brought you. I'm sure that they would love the opportunity to pray with you as well. If you're here this morning and, and like the women at the tomb, you just think, man, there are so many things in my life right now where I am afraid, I'm frightened, I am alarmed. I want you to know that God speaks these words into your heart this morning. Uh, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed, whether that's challenges at home or at school or with relationships or with sickness. Um, the God of the universe has got you. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have heard and received and believed in the gospel message, can I uh, challenge you uh, to go tell someone, like tell someone, like anyone, like tell someone, tell, tell someone you know and love, tell someone you don't know and have just met. Point them to Jesus. This is why we exist, uh, to point people to life in Jesus. Maybe you think, but I'm, but I'm scared, but I don't know exactly what to say. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know what's going to happen to the relationship. I just want you to know that God goes before you. That he goes before you, uh, and he can be trusted. Uh, if you're here this morning and you feel like those ladies after they left the tomb, where it still says, they were afraid. And I just want you to know, like, God has massive patience for you. And so if you feel courageous right here, right now, in this moment, like, praise God. And if you roll out in five minutes and you are wrought with anxiety and fear, like, God's still chasing after you. Like, he still loves you. He will meet you and give you what you need uh, in the moment. Man, something historic, something historic happened. I pray to God that it has uh, changed and changing uh, your life. I know it is mine. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for uh, the resurrection of uh, your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, uh, right now, 
uh, rules and reigns in the heavens. We thank you that Jesus has uh, defeated death and he is an offer of life. Lord, I thank you that you have given uh, to us life, that you have opened our eyes and helped us to see uh, the beauty of Jesus. Would you fill our hearts with courage uh, and wisdom and strength and boldness and humility and kindness and love as we go and tell others the story? We need your help to do that, Lord, and so we ask for it now. God, if there's anyone here this morning who is far from you, who does not have a relationship with you, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open up uh, their eyes and pour faith into their hearts. I pray that by faith they would trust in Jesus and his finished work on their behalf. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.